Good morning once again, and Happy New Year. I trust that you had a great time over the holidays, and uh, 2019 is here. You know, when I was younger, I thought we'd have flying cars by now. Back to the Future lied to me. But it's coming. And uh, if you have your Bible, or we're going to have it on the screen, I'd ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the faith of the centurion, looking through um, verses 5 through 13 in Matthew chapter 8. And um, I wasn't here last week, but I heard that uh, the message was really good. Rather, amen, amen. I listened to it online. I, th- I thought it was a little crummy, actually. Yeah, it's a dad joke, I guess. But we're looking at, well, last week we looked at the faith of the Canaanite woman who all she needed was a crumb from God. And she would have her miracle. Her daughter would be healed. And the faith of the woman amazed Jesus. He marveled at the faith. And you know that only happened one other time? It happened with the Roman centurion. And we're going to be looking at that story today. Last week was Just a Crumb. The title of the message this week is Just Say the Word. Just Say the Word. The Faith of the Centurion, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Let's pray one more time. Father, this morning, we thank you for the privilege to come and worship you and sing praises to you and to open your word. I pray, Lord, 
for all the needs represented here, all the testimonies represented here, all the families represented here, that, Lord, you would speak today. You would encourage hearts. You would lift off burdens, break yokes, break shackles, and give us the garments of praise. Cause us to rejoice from the heart today as we look to your word for illumination, inspiration, guidance, and peace. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has just come down from the mountain. It was the mountain where he just had preached the greatest and most quoted and best known sermon of all time. The sermon on the mountain. He's coming down and he encounters this centurion. In that sermon, Jesus taught on the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven was like, and how we ought to live as citizens of this kingdom while we're here. It is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a kingdom where the laws are not written on tablets of stone, but on the heart. It is a kingdom where the truth about God is revealed through the lives and the testimonies of the citizens and the people that make it up. When the people of this kingdom live as they ought to, when they live as they should, their light shines forth. And the darkness is of the world is overcome. It is a kingdom where the will of God is done just as it is done in heaven. In this kingdom, enemies are loved and forgiven. In this kingdom, the outcast is brought in and welcomed. In this kingdom, the poor become rich. In this kingdom of our great God and King, Words matter. In our text, Jesus enters Capernaum. This would, is the town that would, be, would come to be known as Jesus' ministry HQ, a.k.a. Peter's house. As Jesus entered the town, a centurion came to him. A centurion was a Roman military official. He was called a centurion because he was in charge of a hundred men. He was a captain of the garrison stationed in the coastal town of Capernaum. Becoming a centurion was no easy task. It meant that this man was well-trained, but more than that, that he excelled beyond his peers in military acumen, in leadership, and in diplomacy. Think about it. There's 101 men. Who's going to lead? They had challenges in the Roman Colosseum. There was all kinds of tasks they would do. And this centurion got to the place he was because he was head and shoulders above the rest. The parallel passage in Luke chapter 7, it's important to note, uh, in Luke 7, we also see this story of the faith of the centurion. 
However, it doesn't have the centurion actually coming to Jesus, but instead it says that the centurion sent a delegation of religious leaders and later sent some friends. But whether or not it was the centurion himself who came or the delegation or both, either way, it was that the centurion was bringing his need and his request before Jesus. I don't care how you get it there. You get it to Jesus. Get your, let your requests be made known to God, and the God of peace will guard your heart in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 4, it's the formula for peace. We will see later why it's actually more fitting that the centurion would uh, not come himself. Uh, and that's an important aspect of the story. Nevertheless, whether the soldier came to Jesus himself or whether he sent a delegation, both scenarios faithfully represent the fact that the official brought forth his need to Jesus. The Jewish elders that had come to Jesus on behalf of the centurion pleaded with him earnestly, saying, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Who was this guy? Doesn't it seem strange at the time that a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier would come to make a request of Jesus? Doesn't that seem odd? How many Roman centurions had the favor of the Jewish religious leaders? How many centurions took some of the tax money that they took from the region and spent that money to help build a synagogue, a building that would be devoted for religious practice. It doesn't matter who they are. Anyone can come to Jesus. That's the message of the centurion. The centurion was an unlikely person to show up and bring their request to the Lord. And yet, he was welcomed. And that means that whoever comes to the Lord, they can bring their request to Jesus as well. Even those who, in our eyes, by our own judgment, whose professions we may think don't make sense that they would inquire of the Lord. Church, I want to tell you with all certainty that the good news of Jesus Christ is for whosoever regardless of the car they drive or the size of your shoes, Jesus welcomes you with open arms. doesn't matter how fast your internet is at home. Jesus loves you. In Matthew 8, 6, the centurion calls him Lord. Just like the Canaanite woman did. This meant that the centurion acknowledged Jesus as master. His interaction with Jesus begins and is based on the truth that Jesus is actually the one in charge. Is that how you begin your interactions with Jesus? Say this, Jesus, you're in charge. Come on, say, Jesus, you're in charge. Is that how we begin our prayer? 
Is that how we begin our interaction, our communication, our prayers, our praises? By acknowledging the truth that Jesus is in charge. Is there something in you that wants to not accept that today because of all the pain and suffering that you see? You could say, well, how could he be in charge with all that's going on? It's a good question. Lord, the centurion says again, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And in Luke, it adds this, this is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. The centurion acknowledges Jesus as the one in charge and approaches Jesus with reverence. He approaches Jesus with great respect, and in particular, a respect that shows his understanding of Jewish customs. For a Jew, going inside uh, of the house of a non-Jewish person would render them what they call ceremonially unclean, and there would be a process for them to become clean again. So the centurion saying, Lord, don't even trouble yourself by having to come into my home because I know, according to your customs, it would be an issue for you. You don't even have to do that. Just say the word. Jesus. Just say the word. Your word, Lord, is enough. Jesus, I don't need you to physically show up in my living room in order for me to get my miracle. Send your word, Lord. It is enough for me. I don't need, like Thomas, who doubted, to put my fingers in the places where you were pierced in order to believe. Lord, I believe because you said it, and because you said it, I believe. Your word is enough. Just say the word. Remember the story in in Luke chapter 5, where Peter worked all night in the open sea to catch fish. How much did he catch? Nothing. Jesus instructed him to let down his nets again. Peter said, we have toiled, we have worked hard, we have struggled, we have striven. Looking for another striv type word. We have done it our way. We have used our sword, as pastor said, and achieved nothing. And then it says this, but at your word, I will let down our nets again. Do you know how many fish they caught? Answer, a boatload. In fact, it was two boatloads. So much so that the boats began to sink. What does this mean? It means that the word of our Lord is enough to meet every need, to answer every cry of the heart with provision overflowing. It means that what is impossible for man is possible with God, and with God all things are Verse 9, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, 
he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What does this tell us about faith? A few things. First, it tells us that faith is connected. Are you ready? Faith is connected to authority. Understanding faith means understanding authority. Now, I realize that authority is a dangerous word these days. Because many authorities in our day are abused, misused, and confused. But on my point, don't snooze. The centurion is telling Jesus that his word is enough because he knows what it means to be the one in charge. I myself am under authority, he said. And I have soldiers under me. What I say gets done. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He marveled. Why? Because in the Gospels, we see and we read time and time again how the people who should have got it didn't get it. And a couple of times, those who we thought wouldn't have gotten it, they did. Jesus wants all of us to get it. To get what? That he is in charge. Whatever it is you're facing, Jesus has authority. Wherever it is you are in your life, the ultimate authority belongs to him. Amen. Begin with that. You want to impress God with your faith? Begin with that. You want Jesus to marvel at your faith? Begin with an understanding that he is the ultimate authority over our lives. It's a great place to be. You know, every time a year changes over at New Year's time, a lot of people do resolutions and a lot of people have some reflective moments. And I was telling Pastor the other day, that oftentimes you go through things in life that don't make sense. Maybe your 2018 didn't make sense at all. But the longer you live, this is what I'm finding out, because I'm old now, is that even those things, who's with me here, even those things that I thought at the time were mistakes, were steps back, were going in the wrong direction. Even those things, my God was able to show me the value. He was able to turn it around and make not all things good, but all things work together for the good who loves God and is called according to his purpose. Not everything is good, but God is able to turn it around for my good. And the longer now I live, because I'm old, 
Amen. Thank you. Each place and each thing that I've come to has been a stepping stone to the next. And although I know many of you have faced very difficult things, some good things, some challenging things, me too. But the truth is, without those things, you wouldn't be who you are today. So we thank God for the wisdom, for the learning, and for the character that he's developed in each of us. God's priority is not to make it comfortable for us. It's to develop our trust in him. The centurion had the power to effect change in the region because of the authority that was given to him. Jesus said this, All authority, where? In heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What is he talking about? What's the everything that I've commanded you? Well, this is the last chapter in the book that started off with the most famous and greatest and most quoted sermon in the entire history of the world of sermons. You want to know what Matthew is referring to? He's talking about living as citizens of the kingdom. Go into all the world and teach them what I taught you on that mountain. So faith is connected to authority. Second, faith is about submitting to that authority. When you acknowledge and accept authority, it will lead you to take them at their word. Can I tell you a personal story? (laughs) I always have these embarrassing stories to tell you. This one is more of a general thing between Cecilia and I. Okay, my wife. uh, We're celebrating 10 years this year. So happy about that. Thank you. And most of those 10 years, I've been a bonehead. Um, we'll preface it with that so you can get the context. But I, I am a student of many disciplines. I don't just like theology and religious studies and history. I like technology. I like medicine. I like science. I like fitness. I like finance. I like everything. My latest thing, woodworking. I'm not a tool guy at all. I'm not a Mr. Fix-It at all. And I'm thinking about all this type of stuff. Anyway... Sometimes when I'm talking with my wife, I feel like I'm speaking from a position where I really know what I'm talking about. So Cecilia will will be talking about something and I will say my professional opinion and she'll, she'll, she'll accept it. She'll be okay, you know. And then we'll go see the doctor or the lawyer or the someone who is the authority on the matter, and she will accept it. And I'm like, honey, isn't that exactly what I said? 
And she always gives me the same look. I think Pastor Jeff has seen the look that she gives me sometimes. <laughs> Am I the only one? I feel really alone right now. All the husbands, we could talk later and pray. Okay. It's, it's funny because I want to be there for my wife in a way where she esteems my opinion about things, but the honest truth is she's right. I'm not an expert in those things. I'm not an authority in those things. I may have an opinion about those things, but at the end of the day, if she goes and trusts the expert, that's really what she should do. Amen? Amen. I, I checked with her, by the way, if I could share all this today. It's the same way. When, when, when a courtroom is meeting and the judge gives an order, he has the authority to do that. The witnesses that they bring on the stand, they are there giving a testimony, and the jury will take the witnesses at their word. Why? Because in a court of law, they are considered the expert. They are considered the authority on the matter. It's the same with the doctor. Go to the doctor's office, and I may have these assumptions, these opinions, but I wanted your professional opinion. You're a doctor that I trust. And so I will take you at your word when the doctor gives you a clean bill of health. You say, okay, I've got the doctor's report. Construction experts, they say I need a new water heater, and I don't know if it's broken or not. I've got to trust what they're saying because they are the expert on the issue the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right before our passage. These are the verses in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things. What things? The Sermon on the Mount. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he wasn't giving just his opinion. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Church, Jesus didn't show up with an opinion. He showed up with authority. Are you living by that authority today? Jesus has the authority. Why? Because he is the author. He has authority because he is the author and finisher of our faith. Perhaps you need to know that all of history is really about his story. And any word apart from his is simply unauthorized. Let's be that kind of people. Let's be the kind of people who live by faith under the power and authority of the author of life. If it doesn't come from you, Lord, I don't want it. If it's not your word, Jesus, I don't want to know. In fact, I don't need to know. Lord, let me live a life that trusts in your word alone, what you've said about me, what you've called me to do and to be. Let my whole life be a reflection of my faith in you because, God, your word is enough for me. And when I submit to your word, I prove it. Tell your neighbor, say, watch me. Prove it. Come on, say, watch me. Prove it. You can do this a bit louder, people. You can help me. Turn to your other neighbor. Say, watch me. Prove it. 
As I submit to your word, Lord, let my life be a reflection of my faith in you. The kingdom of heaven, I hate to break it to you, but the kingdom of heaven doesn't function by opinions and committees, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Watch me prove it. Psalm 107 says this in verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. As we close today, I'm going to invite um, the band to come back. There's a passage of scripture. It's one of the longest psalms in the entire Bible. It's Psalm 119. It has 176 verses. We are not going to read them all. But I do want to lift out just 30 of them in rapid-fire action so we can get a taste of what we're talking about when we say, just say the word. You guys can begin. Verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Verse 17, be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your word. 25, I am laid low in the dust Preserve my life according to your word. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. My zeal wears me out for my enemies. Ignore your words. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. I look on the faithless with loathing.
for they do not obey your word. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. And finally, may my tongue sing of your word. For all your commands are righteousness, are righteous. Let's stand together. Lord, this morning, send forth your word, God. Just say the word, God. Your word is enough for me. Say the word over my life, my family, my employment, my finances. Say the word over my health, over my future. God, your word is enough for me. I've tried and I've toiled in my own strength. But at your word, I will try again. Someone needs to try again. Lord, your word is enough for me. So say your word. I don't need you, Lord, to show up in my living room. I don't need to put my fingers in the, like doubting Thomas, who needed to do so in order to believe your word. I believe because you said it, and because you said it, I believe it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So, Father, help us to live lives that reflect the submission to the authority of your word. Last week, just a crumb. This week, just say the word. 